group for them. You're joking, right? Like no, that's no, a, that's it's a, that's, a real that's, ministry. I mean, yeah. So okay, real ministry. Like you, you're gonna have to go further than that. Like okay, so so it's it something. It's something parents. people do. It reaches kids and expected parents. <sighs> You can believe what you you can believe what you want. You're wrong, but you can believe It's not a ministry. I would say it's not really a ministry to the child. It's more a ministry yeah. to expected parents, and that's yeah. fine. That's fine. That's fine. So does this church you that you're going to internet do do does do they have prenatal ministry then? No, but I would like to get it started. <laughs> okay. All right. Good for you, man. Hey, I don't, you I wanna don't... go trash can. I mean trash bag. I mean with trash well, dumpster. Behind the dumpster. Okay, now here's the deal. <laughs> because I don't think preaching to a pre language individual is something that's that's gonna be helpful. But you know, but praying for the baby, of course sure, I'm fine with that. We of course prayed for our kids and I always talked to our children so they could recognize my voice and and you know, that kind of a thing. I'm always fascinated by because I've read all these different studies. Like when, when my wife was pregnant, I read all these different studies. Like babies can actually can smell things in the womb. How does that work? And I'm not even sure how they figured this out, but they had proved it. Well, and they're encased in fluid. Like, you know, they're encased in fluid. Like, I don't understand. So fluid carries... Fragrance? That's something new. I mean, you know, I mean, we don't think of it that way. I guess it would have to. Sharks have a very keen sense of smell. Mm-hmm. So, so I would think, you know, it would, you know, there'd have to be some kind of a, but is there transference between air and fluid, especially inside a woman's body? That's just fascinating to me. But I saw it. Right. I think, I'm not sure how they did it, but they actually did studies of like, like exposing children to specific scents before birth and then after birth and like Did watching them. I, yeah, I'm not sure how they could figure that out, but I will say this. My my son, my my oldest, our first baby, refused. Like we had to force him to eat in the hospital. Um and he did not want to do it. But the minute that we got home, he just started eating like a champ. And I always thought maybe like the smells of home were comforting. Yeah. I used to have, I don't even know. I think it was something that was like serious and then it just became like, like it was just in my head kind of thing. But for a really long time, for like the majority part of the year, um, I could not eat anywhere else but my house. Like we would go out and just have dinner at my grandparents' house, and I couldn't eat anything without. Do you think it was agoraphobia kind of a thing? Or? I don't know. Like at first, I had like a really bad stomach bug, and I couldn't even eat at my own house because uh-huh. it was keeping me up at night. Sure. And it just went from that to after my stomach bug was gone, it was then I couldn't eat like anywhere else other than my house. Or I was just... Yeah, I remember I got the flu as a kid, and I had just eaten pizza and then I got sick and threw up everywhere and and so for a long time after that I couldn't eat pizza. Yeah, I remember my lead pastor uh Jerry Galloway, he was telling me a story. He said that he um ate there it was funny cuz 
so obviously we both live in Marion, but he was talking about this gas station that I knew. He said, yeah, we lived right by there, and you know, my dad, he was the pastor at our church, so he'd be there, and I was a little kid, and I'd run to the village pantry on the corner of the street, and he said, I got a sub sam a cold sub sandwich from there, and I took it home, and I ate it, and I puked, and he said, and for over like 20 years, I never touched another sub sandwich. Wow, yeah. I guess that makes it just the, that fragrance, like a you know, the scent memory is is a big thing. Yeah. It's supposed to be. This has nothing to do with what we're kind of talking about, but since you said Subway, when I used to be vegetarian, I didn't say Subway, but... well, she said Subway. Yeah. What else would I stop? And Go ahead. I went to Subway on the convention that was here. Actually, um, on our way here, we went to Subway, and I was vegetarian, and I got so nervous about ordering. I literally ordered a turkey sub, and I was like. I'm just not gonna eat. Everyone, everyone in line was laughing at me because they knew, like, I was vegetarian. They're like, why are you ordering this? Yeah. And then the, I was like, Ugh. and the lady that was, like, making it, she was like, did I do something wrong? I was like, no, you're fine. Just keep going. So I just took off the turkey. I'm so sorry. That makes me sad that you went through that, that you were that nervous about it, that you were that nervous about it. I just didn't, like, ordering. Well, what would you order it at, at Subway as a vegetarian? Just is there a veggie food. sub? Or yeah. like, Vegetable I just light. want all... Oh, there is? Yeah. Is is there tofu involved? Or if it's... You just, you just add I don't know. I'm not a vegetarian. <laughs> it's just the vegetables that come with a sub. Oh, okay. That sounds disgusting. But hey, I, really you know... Sounds like salad on bread. You know, I... Basically. I read about... You know, you read and... Genesis 1, and God gives us every plant to eat. I mean, there's no mention of humans eating meat until after the flood. I think mean, that's an interesting thought. I mean, people can do it. I just chose to go back to eating meat. Well, I've heard, I've actually heard preachers teach against vegetarianism. That's the way the Jehovah's Witnesses are. They, um, don't eat anything that's bloody or that no. it, that comes from the blood of an animal. Well, that's a little different, though. That's that's a little more kosher. Like, kosher meat, you've heard of kosher meat. That's They really get as much of the blood out of the meat before they cook it. That's where kosher salt. I'm not sure what the difference would be. Because <laughs> there's no blood in salt. No, but there may be some other preparatory <laughs> method. Well, if there's some other preparatory method for salt that involves cows, you know, or pigs, or you know, some non-kosher animal, I don't know. I have no idea what the difference would be with kosher salt. Uh, but no, I I just noticed that the other day I was reading about because I was reading. You know, there's two there's two different descriptions of the creation of hu- of humanity. In Genesis, Genesis one, and then there's Gen, and then in Genesis two, there's another, another one. Genesis one says he created man, male and female, and he tells them to populate the earth. He tells them to that they can eat any of the plants, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't talk about the garden, and it doesn't talk about. It's just. It just says plants. It just says, yeah. And then later on, we kind of zoom in on the drama around Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, which is, well, the reason I read that, well, there's a couple of reasons, but I, one of the things is I recently heard a, a conversation with a guy who wrote a book and he thinks that at the, he's, he's a genetic physicist or genetic, whatever. And anyway, he deals with like tra- tracing human genes back through the, his, the history is like where they are in the world and that kind of thing. And anyway, he, so he wrote a book, but he's a Christian also, and a creationist. He believes that God created the world. Um, but his his hypothesis is the Genesis one is the creation of humanity originally, and the Genesis two is the creation of the image bearer, and that they aren't the same thing. That uh, that you know, which would answer questions like where did where did Adam and Eve and when did their children find mates? Like Esau moves away from his parents and then gets married and founds a city. So where did he find a wife, right? Well, not Esau. Esau? Not Esau. Oh, you're trying to Cain. Why did Cain I say Esau? Abel, when Cain and Abel, because when they found like a wife and stuff, like where Cain, when Cain found his wife, so like... Where'd she come from? Yeah, because she's like, either a daughter of Adam and Eve, which would be his sister, or like his mother. Well, it wouldn't be his mother. He didn't have Eve was his mother. <laughs> or like, well, I thought I've heard like anyway, that was a. Oh, I think it's interesting. Like that. No, no, he didn't. No, he 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 got married to someone, and he founds the first city, according to Genesis. Um, but. Uh, so who did he marry? Was it a sister? It doesn't doesn't tell us. Bible doesn't even attempt to tell us. It just says he got married and founded a city. That's all it says. Which leaves us with that big question. Uh, excuse me. That's one of those things where you feel like. <laughs> to my knowledge, at this time there are literally three humans on the planet. Yeah. There were four, but one of them got killed by Cain himself. <laughs> So now there are three. So where did this woman come from that he marries? And we don't know. And the Bible doesn't even try and tell us. But so this guy was saying that like humanity existed. There were other humans outside the garden. But then God especially created Adam and Eve to be the mother and father and the image bearers. It's an interesting thought. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. It fixes it fixes some problems, but I don't know if I agree. I don't know. I don't know if it causes a whole new set. I've never thought about that before, thinking about other people outside, other people outside of Adam and Eve, because I've always I've always been taught that Adam and Eve were the first people on the earth. But like right. thinking, th- rewiring my brain, thinking that God did make other people, they're just not. Well, and this like, oh. this guy in particular is also he believes in God guided evolution as well. He gives so he, he believes in God guided evolution. So he would say that humanity as a species evolved along the lines that we see in the fossil record. Mm-hmm. But that Adam and Eve were specially created. Oh, so Adam and Eve were the only and ones. Called that were to a specific purpose. Well, I mean God was the one in charge of evolution. This is this man's opinion, not mine. I don't know what I think. But his opinion is that humanity evolved 
along just like all the other animals. And that, and that then at some point when God wanted to begin his, uh, his partnership with human beings, he created a special man and a special woman out of the clay as is, or created the man out of the clay and he created a woman out of the man. Um, you know, and that he chose them to be the image bearers that would carry out his will in the garden. And when he exiles them from the garden because of their sin, that they were kind of sent back to live with the rest of humanity. That They were genetically compatible with the other humans on the planet. So their son could go and marry one of them. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. Um, it is pretty interesting. But, uh, but uh, anyway... Okay, well, before we, before we finish, because I, it, I am of a mind to finish the Sermon on the Mount at some point this year. It's never taken me this long, uh, ever before. Uh, but maybe that speaks to the quality of your questions and conversation. But um, As in, you ask good questions, so we got sidetracked a lot. Uh, but uh, is there anything anybody wants to talk about or go through or think about or have a conversation about? Any other thoughts, queries, questions, wonderments? Or wonderments. <laughs> Something you wonder. <laughs> I don't know. I may have just made that word up, but I do when that. You, I would like to know... One thing, when you have talked that someday you're going to do like a sermon series on Harry Potter, how how I've been trying to think about this. How would you be able to preach over Harry Potter? Like, what is it biblically that you can connect it to? Well, I was just curious about that. There's a whole lot in Harry Potter that is. Harry Potter is a deeply Christian book. Believe it or not. And Christians now say, no, it's not Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is also. (laughs) Yeah. I would say that the comparisons in the Harry Potter narrative are even more blatant than the ones in Lord of the Rings. Um, in Harry Potter, you have this, you know, evil personality, Voldemort, mm-hmm. who is trying to take over the wizarding world. We find out later that his real goal is not just the Wizarding World, but the whole world. He wants to bring the Wizarding World out of hiding and take over and command the Muggles as well. But that's that's not important to... What? So that reminds me of Black Panther. Sure, yeah, right. Yeah, the second one, right? I thought there was two. They're making a second one. But, like, because Jordan, or Michael B. Jordan, he came in, he was like... Y'all I thought that was this, the second one. The bad guy comes anyway. in, y'all have all this stuff, and I'm trying to, like, y'all are trying to hide it here in Wakanda, but I'm trying to take it out into sure. the world. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, we should be the ones running this place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of the same idea. But, the, but anyway, so Voldemort is all about the acquisition of personal power. He's all about rule by force, might makes right. He's all about... Um, exalting himself. So he's a very satanic character because that was Satan's thing was, I will rise above the, you know, etc. And uh, so, and he is executing his 
rule, okay, over, he's very near to taking over the whole wizarding world. Until one day, he goes to eliminate the final threat against him. There's a prophecy that says that this child is going to come and that child will be able to eliminate Voldemort, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes to eliminate that final threat through the only thing that he knows how to do, which is death. He's going to kill this person. Um, and, spoiler alert, Harry's mom throws herself in between Harry and Voldemort. Takes the death blow meant for Harry and through her blood protects him from that point forward. Mm-hmm. Does that sound familiar at all? It, it's starting to click in my head a lot where like... Um, the mom is supposed to, is, so it seems like the mom is supposed to represent Jesus because Jesus' blood is, uh, Jesus took the punishment we deserve. Yeah, but then it's carried on. Uh, well, no, Jesus didn't take the punishment we deserve. That's not correct. Oh, well. No, yeah. Jesus died our death, but that's not the same thing. Okay. And Jesus died death to kill death. So, like, we don't go to hell when we die, we go to heaven. Well, we go to Christ. I'm confused. Well, to be absent from the body is to be... Present with the Lord. Right. So where do we go? We go to present present with the Lord. Right. See, Jesus went into death to fill death with himself. Therefore, as we go into death, we go into... The Lord. Never thought about it. Never thought about that before. But that's a whole nother Bing. that's a whole nother conversation. Okay, so and that 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 kind of uh, so sacrificial love defeats the power of of evil of of evil, right? So yeah. that that is a Christian message, right? And that is the message of the whole of the books. The whole of the books is over and over again, self-sacrificial love defeats the power of evil. Over and over again, grasping power, power for power's sake, defeats itself when it comes up against someone willing to sacrifice themselves yeah. for someone else. And that's, that is, uh, that, that first defeat of Voldemort was just temporary. Um, but, and then as we move forward all the way through the books, Voldemort, he's still around and still kind of causing trouble and still trying to move forward. And then he makes his final great bid for power. And once again, sacrificial love defeats Voldemort. So, so, um, that all by itself is that, that is a, that's a powerful preaching of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, because... Yeah. So, but but there's a million other themes, little themes within the books, that you know. One of the other things that Voldemort keeps, one of the other things that happens with Voldemort is that he does not respect anyone other than himself, and anything weaker than himself, he disrespects. And yet, over and over again, that which is weaker defeats that which is stronger. Okay, that's also a Christian message. Um, there's there's probably, and I've already pulled together notes on about 
seven different themes from the Harry Potter books that we could pull out and then take to scripture and say, this idea originated in, in, in our own New Testament and in the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, J.K. Rowling, while not a Christian herself, grew up in a Christian culture and was saturated by these ideas yeah. and was regurgitating them in a fictional form, format. But people know the, the Harry Potter stories, people in the secular world especially, know the Harry Potter stories better than they do the Bible ones. So I will be happy to use the Harry Potter narrative to teach you about Jesus all day long. I'm not, not interested in teaching you about Harry Potter, but I would love to teach you about Jesus. And I feel like what I've been told when people say people only, Christians only should watch Lord of the Rings, I feel like, well, there's no difference between Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, although I've been, although, although, because I've come to that realization myself, because growing up, like, I've had parents say, I've had my parents say, well, you don't, we don't associate with Harry Potter because that's glorifying witches and witchcraft, witchcraft over, yeah. and Lord of the Rings still does it, but Lord of the Rings is like lesser of two evils. They have more Christian views in it, and like doing, like finding that out for myself, I was like, there's no difference here. I mean, yes, Tolkien might be a Christian, and like you said, J.K. Rowling might not have been a Christian herself, but what? there's no difference here. Well, and Tolkien was writing his stories in order to use fiction to to teach Christian values and morals. That, that is what Tolkien was doing. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, I think it's harder to find the, the stuff in The Lord of the Rings than it is in Harry Potter. To me, Harry Potter is much easier to discover the underlying... Christian worldview that, the, that the lives thing, in the... The only the, thing, at least I can think of, that's biblically, that's biblical in Lord of the Rings is when Gandalf goes, tells them to go, and he, like, goes to confront the Belrock, and he, like, says, you shall not pass, yeah. and goes down, and then comes back a more, like, powerful Gandalf, like... Okay, well, we, he, I mean, we didn't talk about Lord of the Rings because Lord of the Rings takes the Christ figure and breaks it up over multiple characters. Oh. So you have the suffering servant, that's Frodo. Yeah. Okay. Where through his weakness destroys the greatest power the, the earth has ever seen. Okay, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's that picture. Okay, you have the returning king, Aragorn. Yeah. Okay, who defeats the enemy because he's the true royalty that rules the world. You have the powerful being from beyond the outside of the world who through death and resurrection brings an end to the, to the shackles of mankind. Okay, that's Gandalf. Yeah. Okay, so you've got you've got these multiple different pictures of of Jesus. It's like we took the Christ character and he said, "I'm going to take these pieces and put them in this character, and I'm going to take these pieces, put them in this character, and I'm going to take these pieces, put them in that character." Yeah. So, so that's beautiful. Plus the whole idea of the One Ring, which is power for power's sake, okay, yeah. and and which is the opposite of kingdom power. Okay. Kingdom power is. Power for your sake, not power for my sake. Right? Does that make sense? Jesus said, you know, the rulers of this world lord it over, but that it should not be so among you. And among you, the greatest among you will be your servant. Right? Um, and, and the whole idea of the one ring is, I can grasp the one ring of power for power's sake, or I can destroy the one ring, and I can choose the power of, this, of self-sacrifice and love to bring joy in and 
that the problem is if you grasp the power of the one ring, it is eventually going to, even if you do it for good, for good, it is eventually going to destroy you. It's going to pervert you. Which is what Gandalf says to Frodo. He says, listen, I would take hold of this ring in order to do good, but through me it would wield a power more good. And, and, and he's, he's talking about worldly power always brings about a sinful end. Whether you, you know, it's just like, well, anyway. Um, I think, I think Harry Potter, no, no, no. I think Harry Potter is much more obvious. The problem is that you have people casting spells and you have people called witches and wizards. And because witchcraft is real, um, uh, it freaks, it freaks Christian people out to have, to, to, to get, to listen to a story that, that doesn't point at witchcraft and say that's bad. Um, but the witchcraft in Harry Potter is nothing like real witchcraft, uh, at all. And they would say, yes, but it tempts, you know, kids are going to read Harry Potter and they're going to say, ooh, I want to do that. And they're going to go off and they're going to uh, try witchcraft for themselves. And I would say, okay, well, then no more Disney movies because every single one of them has magic in it. No Lord of the Rings, no Narnia. No, no, no. And I know Narnia, everybody's like, ooh, Narnia written by C.S. Lewis. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, but it's full of witchcraft, magic, etc." Um, not only that, but Greek mythology. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Okay, so as with everything, and this is how I feel about every single one of these kind of things. Mm-hmm. If my, if I am given, giving my children a Christian worldview and I am engaged with them in conversation around their consumption of these of these forms of entertainment. Then I get to decide how to help them to see what's good, what's bad, what's whatever. The I personally feel like hiding children from the the realities of the world is as dangerous if not more dangerous than being their guide to under to properly understand mm-hmm. the world. Does that make sense? We did a unanswered series in second year group and we talked about the paranormal and stuff and it said it said a lot of people just don't talk about the paranormal because it's like, oh we're Christians, that's bad. We don't talk about that. Yeah. And I was like, that's I that's the problem. You need to we need to come out and we need to talk about it because if you just say, Yeah, don't go to a seance because it's bad or don't don't right try tarot cards because that really is some scary scary stuff like that's real stuff and or like saying that that's bad that we don't touch that as a Christian um but I feel like the church needs to come out and say why the like preach on right maybe a sermon series why the parents no, let's talk about it is real absolutely let's talk about let's talk about what the Bible says let's talk about what's going on what it why are tarot cards bad why are what, are what exactly? tarot cards tell your future? Well, no, they don't. Oh. But but I mean, that's it's much much more than that. That's oh. a simplification. Oh. Um, uh, but tarot cards are an attempt at 
at gaining spiritual knowledge about a person through the random laying down of special cards that mean different things. Okay. So if you would come to me, same, same kind of a thing. So if you would come to me and I was a tarot reader, I would shuffle the cards. Okay, I'd put them on a table. And they're these special cards that have pictures on them. And each picture has meaning, a meaning to it. And not just a simple meaning, but a pretty complex meaning. Um, and I, I would, I, you know, they, a lot of people do it different ways. But often it's like, put your hand on the card and then think of your question. But don't tell me what it is. And then I'm going to lay out the cards. And I'm going to talk to you about each card as I lay it down. Oh, the... This card, I don't even know any of the cards. But, uh, oh, look, there's... Well, I know one of them is death, but death isn't necessarily a bad card. Not all the time. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But, like, I lay down this card, and, I, and, and I'm like, okay, well, the first card to come up is death. Don't be worried. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to die. Here's what death means. And then you're going to go into the one. And it's like, how does that apply to your question? And then we'll continue to lay down multiple cards in different ways and try and interpret from what gets laid down what what you're supposed to be hearing okay. in this moment. Is that like... Is that like some real stuff? Well, I mean... Is it, it like some... It depends. Evil spiritual stuff? Well, it depends. I think a lot of people that do tarot reading are just, you know, being woo-woo and trying to make a little money, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, or so people are fascinated by it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not, they're reading the cards, but I don't know that there's a, any real spiritual force involved mm-hmm. in what they're doing. Now, there may be a, a spiritual force that gets connected to you because you're looking through, through this to gain spiritual knowledge about yourself. And when you do that, when you are opening yourself to being manipulated by a, a dark spiritual force, you are requesting information uh, from the spiritual realm about about yourself. Jeez. Now, it doesn't happen every single time that a demon comes along and says, "Now nah, I'm going to hang out with you." Right. I, you know, but but every time we do that, every time that we we request spiritual information from a non-godly source, we are inviting, we are opening a door for interaction with dark spiritual elements, which do exist. I think 90% of the time, you're not going to encounter a thing. I do. I think that's pretty much true. But every once in a while, something's going to attach itself to you. Yeah. And you don't want that to happen. True. I was watching this dude. You know Todd White? Yeah. I was watching him. Uh, I really like his videos because he's Mm -hmm. like, like I've seen some strict preachers that are just really in your face, but he's like no, really I like love, him. Really love him. He's dude. all about Jesus. Really loves you. And, yeah, yeah, it's literally incredible. And Which I'm, is why he's gonna heal you now. You know. <laughs> yeah, I was watching this video um, of him going to like this. I don't even know what to call it. So like I'm not trying to sound ignorant when I say this, but I don't know what else to say. It's like a Satanist fest. Sure. Like people were coming in. They had their horns and their. Right. up and they're just yeah. in dark and they're like a bunch of Satan worshippers like the tattoos of like the pentagrams and all that mess and he just and they were in some other country like Brazil or something mm-hmm. and he was talking to this dude that had the whole get up on and was just like telling him his testimony 
and he had a translator there because the guy didn't speak any English. You know yeah. what video I'm talking about? No, I don't. And he was just talking to him, and it was really the coolest thing because like he had the dude's full attention, and he was basically just telling him like his testimony of how he was like hooked on drugs at eight years old, and he's like, dude, the like tarot cards, I did that. The Ouija boards, he said, I used to do all of that. And he was telling him, he said, I don't know if you've been hurt by the church, he said, but this isn't this isn't religion. This is a relationship with Jesus, and like he loves you. And he started. He asked him if he could pray for him, and he said yes. And I was like, bro, this dude just literally is at a a fest that worships Satan, and it was some crazy stuff. Most but, of the time, those people are completely open to an encounter with a holy spiritual force. Yeah. The only time I've ever encountered the different, because I've talked to people like that bunches of times, and usually they're like. You know, oh, wow, man, like, and, you know, praying for them or whatever, and they will really sense the love of God, like, just breaking through, because the stuff they are connected to lied to them in the first place about offering them power or, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, But it doesn't take long for Satan's... uh, or, or you know, the, the, the real thing to come through. Like, right. it becomes obvious pretty quick. This thing is here to use me, not help me. I and, feel like when you're, like, in that spot where you're literally, like, all about the total opposite of it, it's just, like, that much easier for, like, that yeah. different feeling is just... When it's like, that what dark... to us would be huge to them because it's so different. You know how it is when you've been in the dark all night long and somebody turns a light on, what do you do? You're like, ah! Yeah. It doesn't even have to be a very bright light. Yeah. Because, yeah, and I think it's, sometimes it's even easier for people, which is one of the reasons Jesus had so much problem, so many problems with the Pharisees was their whole life was all around, was God-related. So when right. Jesus comes along and he's like talking about God, they're like, we got God, we don't need that. Does that make sense? They yeah. were inoculated against Jesus' message. They, right. And so that's why the religious spirit is the hardest one to get rid of. But yeah, he's just telling him, like, dude, the Ouija boards, I did all that, the tarot uh-huh. cards, like, I played with all that stuff. I heard a story about uh, um, uh, a guy who was, he was leading people to Jesus by encouraging them to just en- to just encounter Jesus. So, like, be like... Yeah, I don't want to really tell you anything about Jesus, but let's just talk to him right now. And they'd be like, okay. And he goes, so let's just close our eyes. And now I'm just going to, I'm just going to say, you know, just, just close your eyes. And, and, and I just want you to just, just ask Jesus, hey. And, and then he would just give him a question to ask. Jesus, how do you feel about me? And let him tell you. And, and people would just start weeping. Like, he says, that he feels my pain and that he really cares about me. Like these crazy, awesome things were coming out of their mouths. They've never known Jesus at all. And they, and he met this, this one young couple was this man and woman and, and they had been all wrapped up in all this spiritualist stuff and, and they were tarot card readers and all this kind of thing. And, uh, and they, they gave their lives to Jesus. And like the next day, um, they were like, you know, we wanted to ask you, you know, should we still be doing tarot card readings? And he said, of course, you know, the, the preacher in me wanted to be like, no, stop, don't do that anymore. And he said, he said, but I thought about it. And then I said, you know what? Let's ask Jesus about that. So they said, okay. So they just closed their eyes. And he goes, just, just ask Jesus, what, should I be doing this anymore? And then he said that she sat there and went, oh, 
wow, okay. Art, well, that, okay. And he was like, what did he say? <laughs> and she goes, no, he said, he said that when, when I'm trying to use something like that to find out about my future, that I'm really just trying to control my destiny and, and that it's all an illusion and that I'm, it's just coming from the fear of death and that I don't need to be afraid of death anymore because he's in my life. Jeez. Right? <laughs> he was like, that's a great answer. <laughs> Good answer, Jesus. Way to go. And he said, <laughs> he's like, he's like, I, I don't even need to, I don't, I don't, you know, he goes, and he said, I'm still going to teach them Bible and stuff, but he said, when it comes to stuff like that, Jesus' answer to them was way better than mine would have ever been. Yeah. And it always would have been something that kind of came from me that kind of said, you're not allowed to do that thing that you used to do anymore. And Jesus gave them something much more beautiful than what he was taking away. Right. And so, yeah, I'm not saying that people should go and... and uh, <laughs> If you want to encounter Jesus, start doing stuff with demons. No, I'm not saying that at all. So please, nobody take that. But I'm, I'm just saying, I, I find that people that are involved in that kind of stuff are way more open to encountering the living God than people that don't have any connection. Yeah. What if someone like believes in like the evil spirits and stuff, but not like a good thing? Like, what are you supposed to do? What do you mean? Like they they believe in evil spirits, but they don't believe in God. Sure. Well, I mean, I think it's, I would just be like, well, you believe in evil spirits, but you don't believe there are good ones? Yeah, that doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. So you don't think that there might be, don't even start with God, capital G, that created the world, that whatever. You know, but I'm I'm just saying, I wouldn't even start there. I wouldn't even start with my whole my whole idea when I think God of omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. I mean, you know, all that stuff. No, let's just start with Jesus. So what if I told you that there was a benevolent spiritual force who loves you more than you can possibly imagine? And he would like to be in relationship with you. He doesn't want to take anything from you. He just wants to, he just wants to meet you and know you. Would you be willing to talk to that being? I don't think anybody that's involved in talking to other spiritual beings would have a problem talking to this one. It's just another spiritual being. And we'll let Jesus do the convincing. <laughs> hey, Josh. We'll let Jesus do the convincing. Jesus knows way better than I do about how... So uh, uh, I, was, I was a case manager at a homeless shelter for a year and a half. And most of the people that came in there had no church background, history, whatever. I mean, maybe their parents, like, made them go to church when they were kids or something. But they just, not, not any real, you know. And so when, when we would, when I would try and teach them to pray or lead them to Jesus, um, I would hand that job over to Jesus. And I would just say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to... Think about a place where you feel very safe and at home. A place that whenever you think about it, it makes you feel relaxed and warm and safe. 
I said, do you got that place in your mind? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, great. Uh, so just put yourself in that space. Start thinking about what does that space look like? You know, close your eyes. Start imagining that space around you. Just what does that place look like? What does it smell like? Where are you? You know, and I would ask him questions. Where are you going to go? Well, I'm, I'm in my mom's bed because I always felt safe there. Or I'm, you know, in this, um, and there was this one, this one lady that she said, oh, I was like, what's going on? And she said, there was this cherry tree that I used to sit under as a little girl. It's my favorite place in the whole world. I said, great, go there. Just put yourself in that spot and just, just relax for a minute. And I would just let him, just let him sit in silence for a few minutes, a few seconds. And then I would say, now what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to invite Jesus to, to come and just to sit next to you. Don't try and imagine what Jesus looks like. That's not important right now. Just, just, just ask him to come and sit next to you. And then I would always have a question prepared, like that I prayed about. Um, so, and is is Jesus there with you? Yeah, great. Sometimes I ask, what does he look like? What's the what is, what's, what's his facial expression? <laughs> How's he dressed? Fascinating. That was giving me weird answers. My Jesus wears a tuxedo t-shirt, right? And then I would say, now just ask him this question. And it was usually like, what do you think about me? What do you want me to hear today? That kind of thing. And every single time, people would just, they would hear really, really powerful things. And the one lady who had, who had remembered the, the cherry tree, she was a mess. She was, huge smile on her face, tears pouring down her face. And she was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, and I said, well, talk to me. And she said, and she, I don't even remember what she said that Jesus said, but it had been, meant so much to her that he met her there under that cherry tree. And she told me, just like even a, a month ago, she emailed me and said, I'll never forget what Jesus, meeting Jesus under that cherry tree. She said, I meet him there almost every day now. She said, I, I had lost my faith completely, but Jesus met me under that cherry tree and changed everything. And I could preach all day to them, but I would rather them encounter the living God. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And if they come out with some weird stuff, like which this has never happened, but if they come out with some weird stuff, I said, he says that I am a servant of Satan and that I should bow down to Beelzebub. If like, if something like that happened, I'd be like, okay, you and I need to have a conversation, uh, which is why I always ask people, what, what did you hear? You know, what did you... And I've never had anybody who was looking to talk to Jesus come back with an answer that was unbiblical. Maybe that would happen someday. But I think this fits under the category with like when Jesus said to, uh, to the people, I think it's in John 6, where he says, if, if, you, if your child asked you for a loaf of bread, would you give him a stone? 
If he asked you for an egg, would you give him a, sna- a, a scorpion or a snake? Like, what's that? Pastor Ron read that verse. Did he? <laughs> That's my dad. That's my dad. Yeah. He talked about you in the message. He said, my son, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. That's my dad. He's thinking clowning you. What? He's thinking you're clowning you. That's all right. He was just talking about like how, how like, you open your prayers with Abba Father. I do. And like Daddy God and stuff. Yeah, I do all the time. I do. It was really funny, but he was like, and he ended it not clowning. He stopped your party. What? He stopped your party. Who did? Which party? Or was that his dad? His dad. His dad. I'm just saying when we've done that, when I have done that with people, sometimes people will say, I don't hear anything. I don't see anything. I don't know if this isn't a big, I, I mean, nothing happened. And that, you know, that happens sometimes. Usually, honestly, the people that tell me nothing happened are the people are the most religious people in the room, the people that spend the most time praying, talking to Jesus. And, I don't, and it just doesn't work for them. Most of the time, it's the people that, have, that don't ever pray. They have dramatic encounters with Jesus in this place. And, and that's what's weird. That's what's funny to me is you'll see, you know, these people who are, they're meth addicts, they're alcoholics, they're coming off the street from selling their bodies. I mean, like, literally, these are the kinds of people that I would see and talk to every day. When, when do you, like, when would you get in these, like, certain, like, situations to talk to those people? I worked at a homeless shelter. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I worked there because I wanted to, I was putting myself in a situation to meet those kind of people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they were just people that just had had a bad run of luck and they hadn't really done anything wrong, but they ended up homeless and... You know, and they just needed a place to start over. More often, however, it was people whose lives are being destroyed by drugs, by promiscuity, by all the things that the Bible tells you not to do. Why does the Bible tell you not to do them? Because they destroy people's lives. What, um, what was your specific job there? I was the case manager. So I got to meet every week face-to-face with each of these folks and help them rebuild their lives. I would help them to get a bank account, get a job, uh, make a budget that they had to stick to, um, uh, you know, go to their AA meetings or their NA meetings or whatever it was. It was an awesome job. I did it for a year and a half. I loved it. Um, and I didn't, the, they, when COVID hit, they really, the whole place kind of got shut down. There were still people living there, but we couldn't really operate normally. And so, oh, so that was recently? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I was doing that while I was a pastor at the same time. And it, um, anyway, so so they had to let me go because of because of COVID, um, and uh, I wasn't as as amazing as that job was. As much as I loved it, it re- really was uh, a drain, really draining, yeah. really difficult. And so. I told him I wasn't interested really in coming back after that. I was like, I said, I feel like my season here is over, at least for now. But it was a Christian place, and so we would do Bible studies together. And uh, I I couldn't do kind of the in-depth Bible discussion with them like we do with you guys, uh, because most of them did not even have a relationship with Jesus. But I wanted them to have an encounter with Christ. So I would sing, I would play and sing 
a couple of songs and and then we would I would try and help them to connect with Jesus in some way. Yeah. Um this is kind of off topic but not um do you think that actual uh buildings or places could be haunted by like lost spirits or evil spirits? Certainly, I don't know about well, lost spirit, I'm not even sure. Well, maybe not lost, but like... I, I, I doubt that there are the spirits of humans banging around in places. Um, Shaking their chains. I don't think that's real. I, I don't think that ghosts, per se, are a thing. Um, I think, and we're in firmly in the realm of conjecture right now, okay? The Bible talks about evil spirits. Uh, almost everything that in the New Testament Jesus casts out of people are referred to as unclean spirits. Okay? Which, this is going to be fun. You'll love this, Russ. Oh. You'll love this part. Because in the thinking of the time, those were the spirits of dead Nephilim. Uh, that, so that's what's haunting old buildings today? Their spirit of dead I Nephilim? I don't know. I don't know. I think a lot of the times it's just people bringing their own, uh, their own familiar spirits with them into a spot, into a place. That's activated by their fear in a given spot. But like, but when you watch TV shows like that and there's a camera and they hear something... And then they see something with, like, their special ghost camera. That sure. $1,000. How Do is that possible? What was that? Majority of that is staged. A lot of it is, yes, indeed. A lot of it is staged. But I would also... I, but I, I believe in spiritual beings. I just don't think that they wander around in, in quote-unquote, haunted places. I think that there are... I think people bring stuff with them. Hmm. Does that make sense? I think spiritual people... It does. I just have a different viewpoint. So what do you think? I mean, because um, for the longest time, I used to be really big into like the whole... I don't know. Ghost different, hunter? Not ghost hunter, but different like spirit, spiritual stuff. I guess um, I used to watch these two like YouTubers who would visit like haunted places sure. and create ghosts and stuff like that. Right. And... Um, I don't know. I just think that, like, to me, it makes sense how there could be, like, lost souls or whatever kind of, like, roaming around. Right. Because but you give have... me biblically. I don't agree with you. That's <laughs> See, that's, like the and that's the that problem. Is when I have to speak from, from what the Bible has to say about this stuff, okay? And from what I can see in Scripture... I don't see any any time except one time where the spirit of a dead person is said to interact with living people. But I see a bunch of times and places where evil spirits interact with people in order to to confuse them, distract them, lead them from the truth, lead them into destruction. 
What I think happens when ghost hunters and people that are involved in that, I think those people, like we said earlier, when they begin to search, when they they open themselves to uh, spiritual forces, um, and those spiritual forces get attached to them. And then when they go to these quote-unquote haunted places, those spiritual forces put on a show. I think that's what happens. Same. What if, like, so there's different, like, I guess, I want to say attractions, but, um, like, in Japan, they have, like, the suicide port yeah. and stuff. Um, how, I guess, how do you explain then, like, the heaviness of, like, being able to, like, sure. do something? I have definitely been in places that, well, the Bible also talks about spiritual beings that... Have have amount uh, have an amount of influence in in specific geological areas. Okay, so it isn't that I don't think that that a place like that, which has had multiple people that have killed themselves, hundreds, maybe thousands of people that have killed themselves in that place it's not that I don't think there's a spirit of death which encounters people there I think there probably is um, but I don't it isn't the place it's the like evil spirit well uh, it, what I mean is if people stopped going and killing themselves there I don't think that spirit would hang out does that make sense I, I think that it has a reputation and it's been given authority because human beings who carry authority over the earth have gone there and served the spirit of death in that place. And so I think the spirit of death uh, has more power there than it would somewhere else. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I don't think that, I think if we went five, ten years of nobody killing themselves in that spot, I would think that it would lose its its power. Yeah. I I don't think there's anything mystically mystical about that forest or that place that caused I don't think that's true, but I I think there are evil spirits. Now, again, I am speaking totally this is all conjecture because the Bible just plain doesn't tell us. The Bible does make it clear that at the Tower of Babel <laughs> Specific spiritual entities were given authority over specific geological regions in the in the earth, and not only that, over the people that lived there. Where does it say that? Uh, well, De- Deuteronomy thirty-two and and Genesis chapter ten. So just you can go and read that. Concept. Okay, so Genesis um, chapter one. Genesis ten is the is the is the uh, Tower of Babel story. Deuteronomy 32 is where it talks about the nations being given over to spiritual entities. I think that's such crazy, man, because, like, dang near every, like, movie like that nowadays based on a true story. Like, I remember um, I was really freaked out. I was younger, and I saw commercials for A Haunting in Connecticut. It was just, like, one of the first scary movies I remember. I never watched it, but I remember seeing, like, previews for it. And I was like, dude, this is probably the scariest movie right. of all time. Yeah. And then, like, the more movies about, like, Annabelle and... Yeah. And de- demonologists would tell you that 
demons can get connected to objects and all that kind of stuff. And maybe that's true. I don't know. I'm just telling you what the Bible... The Bible doesn't say that. Yeah. The Bible doesn't not say that. Right. But the Bible doesn't say that. So I can't speak to it. I don't know. I feel like, like in my mind, it makes sense that spirits could be connected to objects. But why does it make sense? Because if, because if spirits can be connected to people... like Yeah, just, but people are alive. And people have the ability to give personal authority for their bodies over to spiritual beings. Objects are objects. I, I just don't... I, I don't see the attraction for the spiritual being to the object. Unless, through that object, it's wielding power over humans. Because that's all they're really interested in doing. Yeah. So in that case, sure, fine, all right. But I think that if it was thrown into a dump, I don't think it would remain haunted. Yeah. I, don't, I think if people came, came back to it 100 years later and had no, uh, no connection to what it was involved with in the past, that it would still have any kind of spiritual power. I agree with that. I think it has to do with more with being invited into that presence. Yeah. And not, like you said, not the specific object or the place. But I do feel like it can linger after being invited there. Well, it has, then, its, it has its own free will. But I think if you, I don't know that if you went to a place where something had been, and maybe it hung out there for a little bit longer, but um, I, I enjoy those kind of movies. I think they're fun to watch. It just makes me laugh a little bit. Um, uh, it does, because I'm just like, okay, whatever. You know, sometimes I'm like, that was the most staged thing I've ever seen in my life. And sometimes I'm like, and sometimes I'm like, okay. I can watch movies. But there was one, the there was one movie that I, that my son and I, he's 17, we watched this movie together. It was a documentary about this house in Gary, Indiana, that mm-hmm. people had had these repeated encounters with this demonic force, include usually, usually children. Um, and, uh, and like one of these ghost hunter guys went in there and was, to, chose to spend the night in this house and confront this thing and uh and he was permanently harmed uh by i mean like yeah what do you mean permanently harmed had, he i don't remember exactly you mean like <laughs> no it had something to do with like his eyes started pointing the opposite directions and he and he had to wear like special glasses and things so like it was bad i don't want to glorify the thing okay but i'll just say this that like the next day i really felt like the next day i really felt like we had invited influence from and so i was like i i apologized to my son and we 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 prayed some good old-fashioned cleansing stream prayers and 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 said you no longer have permission to mess with us, and I felt that darkness lift immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I just I I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that I was giving permission to anything to be a part of my life. By I, and so yeah, but both of us were feeling it the next day, separate from each other. We both were like not okay that next day, yeah. and and uh, and so yeah. So I felt bad. I was a bad dad. And a bad pastor on that day. My sister, she really loves scary movies. And so every time I go home, like, that's what we'll do is we'll, like, 
I love scary movies. I literally can't handle it because like my heart. Well, then yeah. why do you watch it? Because that's how I bond with my sister. It's really weird. I know. But, like, my heart just beats, like, very quickly, and I get very paranoid afterwards. And, like, um, one time <coughs> I was watching, um, like, my sister and I went to the movie theater to see, like, The Nun or something. Oh, jeez, oh, yeah. And, like, <laughs> my goodness, it really scared me. Oh. And I had yeah, nightmares yeah. for, like, two weeks. And so, like, every single time when I would go to bed, I had to turn on, like, I have definitely encountered, I've, I've cast demons out of folks. Um, I've seen some weird stuff happen. I remember one guy called me and the demon started manifesting while we were on the phone. Because uh, I was having him pray a cleansing prayer. He was a Christian and I was having him pray a cleansing prayer. And all of a sudden this demon started choking him. And all I could hear on the other end of the line was, ah, ah, and I was... I was rebuking and casting out and in the name of Jesus, get your hands off that you know, over the phone. And all of a sudden he's I can hear him breathing again. He's like, It was choking me, oh my god, it was choking me. I was like, It's gonna be okay, so let's talk. And then and then I you know, I met him and we made sure that everything was good. But uh, he had invited a, an evil spirit into his home. They had had a seance in his home. And, which is just an open door for spiritual entities to come in, which is why you should never do that kind of stuff. No, don't do Ouija boards. Don't do well now. They now there are even phone apps to talk to. I had to go and cleanse the house the other day because this woman had been she and her brother had been using this phone app to speak to spirits, um, and uh, and and. Ever since then, all this crazy stuff has been going on in her house. So listen, I walked into her house and really could feel stuff going on in yeah. there. Um, when I was in Mexico City a few years ago, I woke up that day and felt like trash. And I thought maybe I'd have eaten something bad. You know, I'm in Mexico. That happens. Um, and I taught my class that I was supposed to teach. And I was just like, man, I'm just not having a hard time teaching today. This is just really tough. Like every other time we had taught, like the Holy Spirit would just kablam! Like, and there was just this crazy outpouring of the Spirit, and people were crying and on the floor, and it was awesome. And this day it was just like, ho hum, let's all sleep. Like, it was like there was nothing. And I was just, what's going on? And I met this, this international prophetic dude. Um, literally, he's like on, on staff of a, one, an African nation as that nation's prophet. So I don't even know how that works. But. Um, but uh but like and and he was like the atmosphere of the city is a mess today i don't know what's going on i said is that what it is he said yeah i don't know what's happening but there is like seriously something going on in this city today well i found out because i went on a walk down to the city square and the closer i got to the city square the darker and uglier it felt and i was with one of the students there and we're walking down and I'm just like, what is going on? And she was feeling this too. And we're just like, man, this is not good. And and then we get to the center part of town. And there's this big, uh, it was a book fair kind of a thing going on in the center part of it's Mexico City. It's this huge square. But around the corner, right next to the National Cathedral, which is a very dark place. Like I would, I don't go in there. It's ugly. Um, but... Uh, Right next to it, there were people that were 
replicating an ancient Aztec ritual that they would sacrifice people to the sun god. Oh. They didn't actually sacrifice anyone, of course, no. but 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 they were like going through the steps of that and playing the music and whatever. Which I was like, well, that's obviously what's going going yeah. on, because that that cathedral is actually built on top of the ruins of the ancient temple of the sun god. Ew. Yeah, where hundreds, maybe thousands of people had been human sacrificed to these demon gods for hundreds and hundreds of years. Let's build a church here. (laughs) When I think about that human sacrifice thing, it's just kind of weird because um, the... I did research on a lot of religions and like the Hindi religion, they do a lot of that. Like there's like a God that like they, that they use in Indiana Jones too. So that was what I did research on. I was like, that is Kali. a real God. That is spooky. Is. Like, over, like Which is why that movie is like, a very creepy movie. That particular movie. Okay. You had a question. Did You got it. Yes. So one of my friends, um, for, the past six, seven years, she has been opposite of God, like just completely not following God at all. And um, she has been doing a lot better. And she's she's raised like in a Christian household and in the same church I grew up in. Um, but I remember a couple times like last year and the year before, like when I went to their house, her mom would like pray over the house and like anoint it, and yeah. um, they would literally pray for like her demons to leave. And I was talking to my mom about it at the time, and my mom was saying something about when you pray for demons to leave, but the person doesn't want them to leave, that they'll come back greater. That's, yeah, Jesus said that. Oh, okay. I was like, I have no idea. I've Jesus talked about boy I'm trying to remember the context well let's look it up shall we yeah it's Jesus but anyways um, Matthew 12 her mom would like pray for her and like we would sometimes hours just praying for her and it would help for like two days and then she'd be worse completely I don't know I don't I don't know if it was like she just rebelling or if it was actually like the demons came back harder or more or whatever okay um all right, so Jesus, um, boy, I would love to be, to know, boy, I would really, whew, that's interesting too. I'd love to do a little more, a little more uh, study on this, but uh, it's Matthew chapter 12, and um, the, the, Ooh, no kidding. So Jesus has had an encounter with the Pharisees, okay? The beginning of Matthew 12. 
and he has he has healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. He did it specifically in front of the Pharisees because he knew it would it would mess with their religious spirit. Okay. And uh, it says, and it says the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. That's verse fourteen. And Jesus knew that, so he left there. Many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. And um, then it, it quotes Isaiah, and it says, uh, "Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit on him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles." He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Okay, so this is who Jesus is, all right? And then a demon-possessed man comes, he's blind and mute, and uh, and he heals him, casts that demon out, right? And the Pharisees heard it and they said, oh, it's by it's by the devil that you're, pat, that you're casting out demons. And Jesus starts talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which we have talked about in here, I think. It's the one time in the New Testament that we see Jesus mentioning a sin that he says will not be forgiven. Okay. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's a big question that I get. Like, how do I know if I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Um, it is something you cannot do on accident. Okay. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is looking at something, recognizing it as the work of God, and telling everyone that it is the work of Satan. Okay. Um, and it isn't just one occurrence. It is, because it would take a lot to get to that place, don't you think? Like it would, uh, uh, but that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit because here's the Holy Spirit at work. And because, in order to protect their own power, they were telling people that Jesus was possessed by the devil. Okay? Even though they knew that Jesus was really from God. Then he says, he talks about a tree being known by its fruit. Either make the tree, so good fruit cannot come from a bad tree, bad fruit cannot come from a good tree. Which is actually what we were going to talk about from Matthew chapter 5 today which is really interesting that we got led back to this passage but at the end of the day. Because what Jesus is saying is, guys, and this is one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite verses, Matthew 12, 34. I use it for, I yell, I, my wife and I have a joke around this, but you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I, I use that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Rachel gets mad at me when I when I say that. So like if she says something like If you're saying it it's cuz it's in your heart. Oh, like you're saying, "Well, I hate you." Like you like, that's Right. And that's what I say. Don't say that. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth. She's like, "I'm just kidding." Well, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Uh, it doesn't come out of you unless it's in you in the first place. And then he says, "Some of the teachers describe, "Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you." Well, Jesus gets ticked off cuz he's like, "I just healed a guy." right he's like you want a sign so you can control me that's what this is all about this is it's about you and not about me and he pronounces a woe upon them right says that people from evil nations that don't know anything about god are going to rise up and and judge you at the end of the day because 
they didn't know God and they still recognize me, but you know God and you, you refuse to recognize me. And then he says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, this is verse 43, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Okay. What was Jesus talking about? Was he teaching us about demonology? Is that what Jesus was doing? Consider the context. Okay, he's been in it, fighting against the Pharisees and the religious spirit that they have. Okay, they've utterly rejected him. Right? But he still speaks and casts the demon out of them. Right? But they haven't accepted him. Are you following? And then Jesus says to his disciples, it's only going to get worse after this. I was here, I confronted this thing, but they are not going to actually repent and hear me. So after I'm gone, there it's just going to get worse. Seven times worse than it is right now. Does that make sense? So I actually used to tell, and I still kind of feel like I should say this to people, don't come to church if you're rejecting the message of the gospel. You're just making it worse for yourself. Is that a horrible thing for a pastor to say? But that's how I feel. You want to know why? Because every time I speak the truth over you, okay, the demons are going to shut up for a while, but when you walk out of here having not received that truth for yourself, having not ever repented, Okay, unless you fill that clean house up with something good, not only is the same spirit going to come back, but he's going to bring seven buddies with him. Does that make sense? And that's what Jesus is saying is, they, I have confronted this thing. I have, in, in essence, drove the demon out and cleaned up the house. But if they don't receive me as their Lord and Savior... It's only going to get worse. That same religious spirit is going to come back and going to fill them up. And Jesus was actually pointing at 70 years from now, from this time, when, or 40 years from this time, when Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. You want to know why it was destroyed? Because a religious movement grew up inside Jerusalem that stood against the Roman Empire. And Rome came and smashed the whole place. Right? Those are the seven brothers. Does that follow? This was a prophecy of Jesus about what was coming because of the rejection of the Messiah. Does that make sense? I don't think <laughs> we can take that and apply it to a person who is filled with the demonic spirit that we then that we cast out and it's like, you know, now we should tell them they need to follow Jesus. But I think the idea here is 
you hear the truth and you reject it, you are doubling down on what's already destroying you and it's going to get worse. And I've seen it happen over and over again where people will have like a, like they'll go to a camp and they'll give their life to Jesus. You know, like they have this dramatic religious encounter and then they go home and they don't change anything. And they become way worse than they ever were before because there was no real repentance. Does that make sense? So it's a real warning, but I don't know that it's a warning about praying the demons out of a house. I think that's taking it out of context. Does that make sense? You know, I don't think Jesus was saying, hey, don't kick a demon out of a house because it's just going to bring seven more back with him. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I think Jesus was saying, when confronted by the truth, you need to actually repent. <laughs> and if you don't, it's only going to be worse for you having heard the truth and rejected it. Is that clear? Yeah. Does that make sense? It just makes sense. Understand why Jesus was not teaching us about not about casting demons out of people that don't want to have demons cast out of them that's not what jesus was saying okay great cool all right well it's eleven thirty, so we're done as always a great pleasure having conversation with you